Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moving Into the Future. Today, I am joined by Brian Bowers, where he's the Chief Revenue Officer at Precision Facilities Group. Brian, how are you today? Doing well, Jack. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah, no, it's my pleasure. We uh, we got to spend a lot of time this week at the annual, or, or excuse me, OMA annual conference out in Scottsdale, your, your, your place of residence, and appreciate you showing me around, first of all. But, uh, you know, one of the things I think myself and a lot of other people learned at that conference is the impact that for PFG, just to make it easier on myself, is uh, having on our group and the industry as a whole. How's that been for you, uh, you know, with the, with the quick development and growth that, that you've seen over there? Well, when we left our uh, former employer in August of 20, right in the middle of COVID, that obviously wasn't the most opportune time to start a brand new fledgling company that re relies on capital and in operational uh, expense and spend in the commercial real estate business. So right out of the gate, it was um, uh, much more challenging than we had planned. And, um, but since, you know, in, in the, we're two years old now. So this past year has just been some exponential growth and primarily driven by so many of the relationships that, that we've made in, in two years of being involved in the OMA um, organization. But, you know, we were able to take, um, you know, we're, for, for those of us, the five of us that started PFG, you know, in the industry, we're the old guys now. Um, and, uh, you know, we started back in, oh, 2002, 2003 with a former employer that we kind of spun a company off and started up really what became workplace services just from seeing an opportunity in the uh, in the market as the JLLs and the CBREs and Cushmans and Colliers all grew and the outsourcing world started growing very fast and companies wanted uniform standardized processes, procedures. They wanted every move to look the same, every install or every decom to look the same across their portfolio um, anywhere in the country. In our industry, the moving and storage industry is, is not one that's very quick to change. It's been very slow and um, I, you know, I would dare to say antiquated just in its thinking in terms of what it could be to their commercial clients. And we felt like we had a jump start on it back then and built a, built a very large uh, company the, uh, relative to, to our industry and had a great run. Um, and then we just decided we needed to control our own future and our destiny and, and um, some things changed in that organization and we decided to start PFG. And um, for anybody that started a new company, you know the challenges that come with that and uh, we've experienced every one of them and uh, come out, you know, two years later with some tremendous growth. And we knew we could get there. Um, it was just around, you know, just getting traction. And, and we had the expertise. We built some great technology um, around that. And it was technology built just by going through the fire for 20 years and understanding what was needed in order to provide that true value and visibility and validation to our clients. And so we built that. And got our processes in order and, and really been able to take off. Yeah, and that's an interesting part. You said a couple interesting things there. One, first and foremost, that needs to be emphasized very much is the moving industry is antiquated, um, always has been. Um, I think people like you and people like myself too are working to change that. But when you are disrupting an industry and creating a tool 
that can be used to, to simplify processes and standardize processes, because again, you're absolutely right. When I was at Indeed handling moves globally, that was one of the keys for me to do my job easily was making sure that it was standardized globally, no matter where we were, whether it was Singapore, New York, Austin, Scottsdale, wherever, the move was done the same way each time. When you're creating a technology that is meant to simplify and disrupt the process of moving, how does that look like from square one and like, like the development process? Because that's one of the things that I find to be so challenging is developing it from, from, its, from its seed and then building it up from there. How did you go about that at PFG? Well, again, we used, we used experience. We had worked with, you know, you, you, when you do this business for a long time, you work with multiple clients technology on that end, um, as well as, um, you know, as you become a large organization, you have to have your own internal. And some of those times you can make them talk, you can make them communicate, sometimes you can't. And so when you see five, six different systems over a period of, you know, a couple of decades and you work with them, you see all their challenges. And sometimes I think people think technology or they build technology for the sake of building technology, right? right? Exactly. And it doesn't solve, it doesn't solve an issue and you okay, can overcomplicate really it difficult. so fast. Right. right. And so what we wanted to do was build something that was user-friendly. We've had systems in the past that, that we've worked with and you give them to a client, they never open it up. You don't see one login. And so we wanted to be able to make it something that was easy from their phone, especially with COVID. Everybody's remote now. They're, you know, they can't just walk around an office and watch progress happen. And so we built something they could see from their phone. They could see from their desktop or, their, or whatever mobile device they were using and watch things happen in a real-time basis and see that a project was being accomplished, that a decom of a building that nobody was in, that you're telling them that you're getting through these steps, that what well, they really was happening. They can see it. They can see a video clip. They can, they can watch it live. They can just see the pictures of progress as it's happening and not stress. So they can go to happy hour on Friday afternoon and enjoy themselves and, and not worry all weekend that that project's getting done. Absolutely. And for our listeners who don't know, Precision Facilities Group offers technology called remote control. I call it remote personally. And Brian just said the tagline that I, I think I coined, which is everybody's remote. Brilliant. But you guys can use that as you please. But that's what it allows for them, is it essentially allows uh, clients, no matter where they're positioned in the world, to see what's happening on site of a move in a certain market and how it's being done with up-to-date progress, whether that's moving a box, whether that's uh, taking a picture of an area. And not only that too, but it also allows for questions to be answered very easily as well. You know, I, I've, I've used it myself where there will be uh, like a certain station of items or boxes and we take a picture of those items and, you know, put a quick question, are these moving? Are these being disposed? Um, where are they going? And the client can answer that very easily or at least pass it on to the person who can answer that. So that's a type of communicative, communicative tool that uh, remote control allows to simplify and streamline the process. Because again, as we delve into this world of national accounts and global accounts and, and what OMA is doing as a whole to really corner that market and innovate that market and service, um, technology like, like remote control offers so much. And, and you said something important 
about simplifying it. That is key too, because this is technology that you're giving to a project manager and teaching them, not necessarily on the fly, but before the move, how to use. And it is very easy to do. And once it's over, you can hand it over to the client and they have that data and all of that information. And that's another key point of all of this too, is the, the information process. How has that helped you and your clients with certain SLAs and KPIs and things like that? Because that's a thing that a lot of movers in our world and our competitors talk about, but they don't do a very good job of delivering on. How has remote helped you guys make that process easier and more um, intuitive to everything going on and, and simple to comprehend and grow from? I think it goes back to um, getting your teeth kicked in for a, a lot of time when you, when you first start in this industry and learning to speak the client's language, right? right. So and these are all things that we failed at early on, man. I've sat in some ugly meetings early on when we when we had really kind of outsold something that we weren't ready to perform. We conceptually we knew what we should do, but we weren't ready from a process or procedure standpoint. And we got our teeth kicked in, right? And because of that, you learn, you get better, you learn to speak your your client's language, and then you become the easy button. So so once you and I, and I it's and it's kind of a trite phrase to use, but but it's really what we become and why we're able to have longtime clients that just you know you're not getting put out to RFP every single time, or they're not asking for a bid and putting you against 14 movers and you're doing cattle calls and walking around and really it's not adding any value to anybody, right? So um, th that's really what it's become is that we can through process, through technology, through knowledge and experience of all those things, you build a tool. That's that the the KPIs are built into the tool. The, the SLAs are built into the tool. So at any point, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, your client already has that information. And then we create a dashboard so that it's all rolled up. So if you've got a client that really doesn't want to look at all the detail, they're high level. They've got multiple projects going on. This is not their only one. So in in, in one of our chief responsibilities as a workplace services provider is to is to be a third arm to that project manager to make them scalable. Right. So they don't have to worry about all the little details of a move or a decom. I mean, they're dealing with much higher level, you know, architectural GC construction going on. Our industry typically is a rounding error at the end of a project. Right. Right. But we're the last face, we're the last touch of that project. And we can make or break, you know, their, the client's perception of that entire project based upon how we perform. And whether somebody's remote, whether they're on site, whatever it is, they want information. They want to know, they want the confidence to know that it's going to be taken care of. It is taken care of and they can watch, watch it happening and in progress and know that everything is staying on schedule. So that's really, those SLAs and those KPIs are all delivered within the technology. So it's not a afterwards step that you've got to go back and recreate. Absolutely. And again, you said something very important is the moving process is the last piece to the puzzle every single time, whether it's a simple office move or a new office opening or whatever it may be, it, it's always that last piece and it can make or break the entire thing. And that's why, you know, when you're, when you're choosing partners, um, having a tool like remote control, a lot of times, and from what I've been understanding, you know, speaking to people at the conference, um, it's kind of making it a no-brainer 
for a lot of uh, end users. When, when we can bring in this technology, proprietary technology for you, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game changer um, in that sense. And uh, I wanted to get back to something because I'd like to hear about it. Why don't you tell me one time when you uh, kind of outkicked your coverage and uh, you know got ahead of yourself a little bit there? Because I've been there too, and I think we've all had those stories, especially in this industry. Um, you know what 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 happened there? Because again, this you know part of being in this industry is getting your teeth kicked in. You know, it's 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 what's it's what allows you to grow and 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 stay. You know, it's it's how many times can you get punched in the face? And, and stay on your feet, you know, and not go down. So uh, I could imagine being as yeah. smart as you are, it's, it's, it's happened. And, uh, you know, what was that like? Yeah, I, you know, the, the, the very first, I'll, I'll give, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just one real instance because it's stuck in my, in my head because of just the, the way this client talked to me the first time it happened, but there's a term out there, but it doesn't get used much anymore, but um it was very simple in the, in the facilities and construction world is vinyl composite tile, VCT. And it was the very first really large account for a bank in Columbus, Ohio, that, that we had won. And they went to a project meeting and the, our client, who was very, very highly charged individual, type A individual, and hadn't gone through sensitivity training at that point in the, in the, in the early 2000s. And um, and she kept saying VCT. And I said, what is VCT? And she looked at me like I had 14 heads and just chewed my butt up and down. How could you possibly be in this industry and not know what VCT is? And I, I just felt just, you know, it's one of those times where you just feel like two inches tall. Um, and it's just, it's stuck with me. It's like, it gives me every time I, you know, see tile on the floor in a, in a commercial building, it gives me the EBGBs. It's just one of those things that keeps coming back. But the, the big macro one, um, Ann Rovat, uh, who's my partner at, um, one of my partners at PFG, we were somehow by the grace of God, won a contract in 2005, um, with JLL for a very, very, very large corporate campus in Seattle for a tech company. And it's made a lot of software over the period of time. And somehow I have no idea how we won this. It was, it never should have. Um, you know, a, a little company in Cincinnati, Ohio, wins the largest corporate campus in America, moving 50,000 headcount a year. So we went, we went from um, uh, our friend Tom Hinckley and I being on the road and, you know, doing a couple million dollars worth of business to, hey, we just won this thing that was a million dollars a month in revenue. And Ann and I go out there to set this thing up and it's just her and I, okay, here we go. And we get out there with no clue really not even knowing what we had bid off on. We didn't have a lot of volumes and those things. So we get out there with absolutely no clue what we bid on. And, and all of a sudden we're now hiring a hundred people. We're moving again on the pace of 50,000 headcount um, a year, 200 work orders a day, no technology, <laughs> no technology. Our processes were in our head. Okay, we, we, we knew how to do it, but nothing was documented and having to fake through a 45 day transition and be ready to go um, in 45 days, literally with that kind of volume and build, build an entire move company. We didn't have trucks. We didn't have equipment out there. We had to put this all together in that, that period of time, zero sleep. I mean, you know, trying to, that was our, really our first experience with somebody saying KPIs and SLAs and having to be really measured. 
no clue. <laughs> pulled it off. We, I mean, we, it was a, it was a rough six months. I'm not saying we didn't get critiqued uh, quite a lot there for the first 90 to 120 days, but we pulled it off and turned it into a, a, a success story. But it was just one of those things that I, I just it never should have happened. It somehow somebody made a in procurement made a decision they never should have made, but it really benefited us and then launched us into this whole workplace services world of really learning what it means. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a testament to you and Ann and, and anyone else who was involved in that. I mean, you guys are uh, two of the brightest in the industry and Tom as well. He's involved in that. Uh, you guys certainly know the industry. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about the conference. Well, I, sh I should say about the organization as a whole is the amount of smart people, experienced, seasoned people in that room is significant, especially for a young person like me. Um, I eat it up. And I think you know that, you know, I've always come yeah. to you and, and Tom and Ann, uh, you know, for advice and, and that guidance um, and, and things like that. You know, what did you think about this week? How long have you been going to these conferences? So this is my second annual. Um, okay, yeah, I've had multiple sales events, been to the the board meeting um, that, the, that uh, the board does in Key West for a couple of years, which obviously if you get a chance to go to Key West and you can hang out with cool people, then, you know, you're not going to miss that one, even though I'm not on the board. But you get lucky and get invited and, and you go down and have some fun with some really awesome people. The um, th This organization, I mean, now what we're going to hit $50 million in in revenue, member to member or OMA direct sales by the end of this year. Um, far and ahead, this I think that was their 2025 goals, 2024 goals. 2025 goals was was to hit 50 million. So we're going to do it three years ahead of, ahead of schedule. Um, it, I, I think, you know, as an organization, it's just hitting its stride. Um, members are now really starting to understand how to collaborate. Um, another thing, I mean, you know, movers historically, yep, other than being antiquated, we're always very territorial, right? Yep. You know, it's our market. It's our market. And they, they see the they see their market share as being whatever is in that city that they're in versus looking at it as, hey, your clients are national and global clients. You've got to be a national and global provider. And people are wanting to get there now and they're understanding it. And people are now understanding how to collaborate that, you know, I can I can work with you and I can compete with you. Right. And we can do all these things and do them right and still everyone succeed. Right. Exactly. And, and um, while we may compete on a on a on a, an account that's based in New York or it might be based in California and you're based in New York and I'm in Scottsdale. Um, when we collaborate, I'm going to share technology. I'm going to share experience. I'm going to do all those things. And then we might compete next week on a different project. And you may use some of that, but uh, uh, in terms of the experience or knowledge that you get, or I get from you and those things are all okay. Um, and, you know, that was been our goal before. And then especially in the, since we came into the OMA organization is what value can we pump into this with no, no expectation of return because it, it will come back right. just like it'll come back to you if you just keep sticking value out there into the system. And, you know, they've had a board of directors since we came on and people like, you know, that the executive director, Doug Hollingshead and Don Hindman, Peggy Coakley, Brett Bettina, uh, Jim Brown, that all understand this, just tremendously collaborative people that run great businesses and you'd be happy to, to, you know, to follow and work with um, every day. And so we've really embraced that. We're, we're extremely fortunate to be part of the, the organization, aligned with the organization, and um, can't wait to just continue to, to do whatever we can to help it grow because it's, it's very quickly become the 
the best industry model of an association or organization that I've ever seen in our industry. Yeah, I completely and totally agree. And, and I was talking about this this week as well. I was introduced to OMA. I had known about OMA in about 2014. Um, and this when I was, I was first starting out Indeed at that time. And I was responsible for bringing on a global move partner. And I remember I called Jeff, uh, who I, I never worked with before, but knew and I knew of OMA and they were in OMA. And I called them up. I'm like, listen, I have this opportunity uh, to be a global move partner. And it would have been huge for them at the time. And I was like, I can get you in the room. I think this is what I need. And I knew this as an end user, as somebody who had been in the industry prior. I was like, I need resources in all of my markets. I can set up the processes where we can work together on the processes, but I need to make sure I have the resources in all of these markets that's in, that indeed is in, right? And I remember I got in the room, it was Doug, uh, Jeff, Anthony, I think Kevin McCarthy uh, was the VP at that time and Jim Brown might've been there as well. And I remember our head of procurement, she was a really talented lady. She was based in Austin. And one of the questions that they, she just kind of pounded them with was, okay, OMA has all of these resources and everything, but how much money does OMA actually have? Um, and at that time, it wasn't anything. They had no, no funds in OMA. And she's like, listen, like we're gonna be doing millions of dollars of work like what happens like if you guys can't sustain that we have you know certain net payment days and you know they tried to answer around it but as a procurement person she's like it would be simply irresponsibly i wouldn't be doing my job well and to bring all my on and now you look at that less than 10 years later and we're an organization that's going to do over 50 million dollars of work this year that's significant. And to think too, within a three-year span, that's gone from about 10 million or so to that 50 million. That's like a fast growth company, or, or at least the beginning of a fast, fast growth company. When I say fast growth, I'm talking like technology fast growth, where I've been to, and I've seen it at Indeed, I've seen it at WeWork, which isn't necessarily the best example, but like that type of thing. And frankly, it's all grassroots too, for the most part. It's not like we're getting funding or anything like that. You know, it's it's a it's a small it's business. All organic growth. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's extremely powerful and extremely exciting for me as somebody who's kind of young. The foundation that's been set is really significant, and that's why you know technology like remote and and all of the resources at PFG between yourselves and and what you're working on there is significant for me. And then everything that's being done on a board level and things like that. It's um. It's really, really exciting. And, you know, I got to speak at the conference as well, as far as in the breakout and selling national accounts. You said it yourself. That's really what I'm trying to get through to people is it doesn't matter what market you're in. You could be in the smallest market. National accounts is, are everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's directly in your market or, or outside your market, or you can call on these people and you can develop a a program or a process promoting OMA and PFG and our other AMP partners too, for that matter, and be like, here's what I can do for you. And I can make your life significantly easier with these tools. Um, how are you going in to a lot of your clients now too specifically, since you have a little more freedom, you know, what are those uh, conversations like? Are you are you working off of a lot of existing relationships or are you kind of, you know, starting at the bottom and just kind of, you know, 
prospect. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we were hampered in our first two years by a previous employee um, employer contract, and so we had to start from zero. So there was right. we had industry relationships and referral relationships, but we you know we couldn't do one one bit of business with any prior client. So uh, it was actually a great experience in getting uncomfortable again. Um, I, I can say I definitely had gotten comfortable. It was, it was, you know, things were pretty much on cruise control until we decided to leave. And then you kind of throw yourself back into this, like, wow, do I really want to start cold calling again? Well, I got to have to, because I have to survive. Right. And so learning to do that again and get uncomfortable and start, you know, just start like a, like a brand new salesperson in this, in this, uh, in this industry and start building those things you know now since we've been free a little bit here for 60 days or so yeah those relationships were still there and they're they're all strong but we live in a world of procurement now right and um you don't just get you know our, our clients are typically all fortune 500 or above and 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 those contracts don't come easy procurement people don't just say, okay, hey, yeah, we yeah, did business right. with you in another company. Here's your contract. They want less contracts, not more. Right, right. So, so um, yeah, it's a challenge. It's a struggle. And so, you know, we've just, um, we've been fortunate enough that we, you know, we did have five people that have a lot of experience and know where these businesses are. And it's forced us to change, get better um, in thinking different ways. And um, while uh, it took us longer than we expected, we're, we're back on track to where we thought we would be. And um, you know, going into year three, we're in a really strong position, but yeah, that's, that's really what it's, it's been about is just getting uncomfortable and, and then, okay, you know, we kind of changed the, the industry before, and then we got a little comfortable. Now, what are we going to do to do it next? And, and, you know, be something different in the market. And, and, you know, the OMA world has helped us with that because now we can be something different in the market. Plus, how do we collaborate with, you know, the 50 some OMA members and finding people in there that want to get to that next level, not just be a local provider within the organization, but Hey, let's go, you know, you've got these, you've got these companies in your market, you've got these people, you know, but you're not selling to them nationally. You might be doing work in your city, but you're not doing their national work. Let's collaborate. Let's go do that. We know how to get you there. Uh, and then everybody benefits. So that's how we've approached the OMA relationship is what value can we put in um, to help everybody to, you know, rising tide raises all ships. And so we just wanted to, to be a part of that and continue to pump that value into the organization. And we've received, you know, that back in spades. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I do too. Like anytime I get a new opportunity in a different market, um, first of all, and I, and I said this in my breakout, I always look up where that company is headquartered, right? And then I go to the OMA partner in that market and I say, hey, I'm doing this job in such and such city. Uh, have you ever done work for them before? And whatever the answer is, I'm like, well, listen, like we might want to find those people because I'm going to do a good job here. And then let's, let's figure out how we can, you know, work on this together to, to, to get it on a national level. Um, because that's the end game. Um, last question. What's it like being, uh, you know, good looking at 50 in Scottsdale, because I could see myself uh, winding up in that position one day. I really enjoy it out there. Uh, what, do, what do you, what do I got to look forward to out there, Brian? <laughs> well, I would, I would say my opinion, uh, life in Scottsdale is the highest quality of living in America. So if you have the ability to get out of town in July and August, early September, I would definitely recommend relocating Jack. Oh yeah. Um, and, you know, being a 52-year-old guy, probably a lot of the things that you're going to enjoy about Scottsdale, I'm I'm not partaking in as, as much. But 
I'm uh, reasonably sure that you've been here enough to know how enjoyable it can be. And in, in uh, but yeah, every day is a party in Scottsdale. You have to choose not to partake and stay home now and then. Right, right. Yeah, no, I could see it. I, I was envisioning myself. I have spent a decent amount of time there in, in like the last 10 years. Um, and I enjoy it there a lot. And I would definitely be snowboarding. I'd, you know, I'd do the New York to Scottsdale back and forth during the summer months. Yep. But uh, yeah, maybe one day, as long as I, as long as I keep working as hard as you, Brian, I'm sure I'll make it there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, thanks a lot for joining me today. This was fun. Uh, appreciate it. Looking forward to continued growth and, uh, you know, making it happen. I, the, the more work we do together, the sooner I'll get down there with you. So let, let's make correct. it happen. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate the invite. No, my pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time.